together. Make sure you are there with your copy of Scripture or your tablet or phone. That way you can make sure that what's being taught is the truth. Uh, we don't just take whoever's standing up here's word for it. We take the word for it. Um, it's a privilege to be up here. Um, I'm excited about what's happening with Pastor Greg. We're praying for him diligently. If you have not, please start. Uh, pray that uh, all the divine appointments that he has from the airport to uh, Lesotho and back will be, uh, they'll be sensitive to those moments. And I look forward to, as you do, uh, in the next several weeks when he returns to hear about what God was up to over there. But while we're here, I want to talk about a, a word that I'm not... Uh, I'm not very excited about, but it's choice. So if I was going to title this sermon, it would be choose or choose today. We're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 18. And let me just give you uh, some background information in 1 Kings. Did I say Kings? I said that right. Um, In 1 Kings 16, we see the King Ahab is... uh, chosen as king. He serves for around 22 years, but the scripture says that King Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than any who was before him. So here he is, the king of Israel, serving in Samaria. He is um, king over the Jews, and he's done more evil in the sight of the Lord than anybody before him. Well, there's this prophet, Elijah, who stands up before the king, and he says, until I say again, it will not, there will be no, more, no rain and no dew in the land. So basically challenging him, challenging him to repent and turn to God. You have a choice. Otherwise, we can enjoy a drought, somewhat like what we're experiencing now, but far worse, obviously. Um, I know we're, we are in the throes of begging God for rain right now. Um, I, I wonder, though, if... If we, were, have, uh, if we had planned a service to pray for rain, how many of us would actually bring umbrellas? Maybe you'll catch that in a minute. When we pray and when we seek God, do we believe that he answers? Do we believe that he will? Obviously, in his time, do we believe that the God, the creator of the universe, will show will display his glory for all to see. I'm sure that is reflected in our lives. And in this time, the king, worshiping a false god, Baal, or however you want to say it, has led the whole of Israel to worship that very same God. Now, the the people of Israel know that the chosen ones They know the true God, and they know the history of God's deliverance, and they know uh, the foretelling of the Messiah to come. But in this moment, they have chosen. They have chosen whom they will serve. And unfortunately, they chose poorly. So if you continue reading, 1 Kings 16, you see that King Ahab has started his kingship. 1 Kings 17 is when they had a he had a face-to-face with the prophet Elijah. And by 1 Kings 18, it has been three years of no rain. Three years of zero rain. Not the scattered showers that we receive every now and again, but three years of zero rain. And God tells Elijah, it's time. Present yourself to the king. It's time for a challenge. It's time for a showdown, if you will. So... 
now that we're here, caught up almost, join with me in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 17. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, because they were looking for Elijah, the king had had enough, let's look for this guy. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So the challenge has been laid down. Now what's to come? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Verse 20, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, he's speaking, speaking to his own. He's speaking to the people of Israel. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Here's an interesting response. And the people did not answer him a word. So speaking to his own people, chosen, of, chosen by God, he says, choose. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to worship? The one true God or this lowercase g God over here that you've given so much time and effort to? Pick one. Stop wavering back and forth like the wind. Pick one. Who are you going to worship? And the interesting thing is in response to that challenge, they said, what? Nothing. They said nothing. 22, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Here's the challenge. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people had something to say. And what was that? It's well-spoken. In other words, I'll agree to that. So he's looking at his own and he's saying, how long are you going to be going back and forth between the one true God and whatever this is? You know, you know. They say nothing. Why? Because they're guilty. And so then, then what does he say? How about a showdown? How about a showdown? There's just one of me. There's 450 of them. They can build an altar. I'll build an altar. And whichever God shows up, that's the one who will be the one true God. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you 
are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. So for three hours, they're calling out. They're calling out, Baal, answer us. Baal, answer us. Hey, Baal, answer us. You're the true God, right? You're, you're the mightiest God that we worship. Baal, answer us. You are the bringer of crops. You are the bringer of fertility. We've sacrificed to you. Now answer for us. Here's my favorite part. Pause. Here's one of my favorite parts. Um, at noon, so after three hours of this call to worship, for lack of better words, at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry louder, cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, maybe he's having a conversation, or he's relieving himself, um, or he's on a journey, or perhaps asleep and must be awakened. Can you imagine what that had been like? You have 450 prophets of Baal calling out to their God. They've been screaming out for, for three hours, and then the prophet of God stands up and says, so what's going on? I wish I could have been there to hear the mockery. Where is he? He's having a conversation with somebody. Is he in the restroom? Uh, maybe he's asleep. Cry louder. Cry louder. Verse 28, and they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was a custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And, it, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering, which is about 6 p.m., but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. There's some key elements right there. So, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird. Well, we all know that that's the case. But when I read 1 Kings 18 and I'm reading about how the prophets of Baal, I feel like the first part of the day, the first three hours is like a, a cheerleading competition and everyone's happy and everyone thinks they know how this is going to go. And there's twirlers and they're, they're doing stunts and they're doing their cheers. And then after this taunting, I feel like it's a metal concert happening and there's a giant mosh pit and they're just going nuts. They've gone from certainty to desperation. And what do we know about the situation? There's no answer. There's no answer. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. So he's setting the proper foundation and reminding these people where they came from. To whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as contained two seas of seed or three and a half gallons. And he put the wood 
in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, here's an interesting part. How long has it rained? How long has it not rained up to this point? It's been three years of no rain. No rain. What is his next request? Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. So we've had no rain for three years. Water is sparse. So now they're going to take this precious commodity and they're going to soak this altar, which is supposed to be lit on fire. Now, I don't know about you. I've made a few fires in my time, but I've never started with soaking it with water. Any Boy Scout would tell you that's not how this goes. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And, and he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now, why do you think that Elijah has now soaked this altar? Yeah. There will be no doubt. There will be no doubt. Nobody will be able to say when this fire hits that Elijah had anything to do with it. Because we all know, if you don't know, if you didn't know before now, you know now, you don't drench everything with water when you want to start a fire. 36. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said this powerful prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all things at your word. 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Prophets of Baal spend all day long screaming out to their God, begging for a show, begging for a show, a God that they'd sacrificed to who knows how many times, begging for a show. Isn't that just like the world? Entices you in to worship it, entices you in to follow it, and gives you nothing in return. Isn't that the cleverness of the enemy right there? Oh, look at this shiny thing over here. And we, oh, look, we, shiny, we like shiny things. Look at this sin over here. It's not as bad because, you know, we're always comparing our sin to other people. And so it's not as bad as them. It's not as bad as her. It's not bad, bad, as bad as him. It's not as bad as they. And we feel like, oh, as long as I have control over this and it's not hurting other people, then I'm good to go. But sin is sin. And the enemy is clever. And he knows how to fish. And he's going to use the right bait and he's looking for weakness, and he's going to pull you in if you let him. We know the truth. If you spend any time in the Word, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you know the truth, that you know he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the creator of the universe and the creator, the handcrafted, uh, the one who handcrafted you on purpose for a purpose. I say that to the students all the time. They're probably getting sick and tired of it, but I don't care. But 
but the enemy. Isn't he clever? Listen, folks, I may, I may have said this before, but sin is fun. It is. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. If it wasn't fun, no one would sin and we'd all be home by now, right? But the enemy is clever and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he pulled a whole nation into worshiping a false god. And then spent three years setting the stage for this moment right here. If Baal is the God of fertility, if Baal is the God that you worship to, uh, that you worship to, that brings crops, then where's the rain been? Because that's what brings the crops, right? Setting the stage three years later, we find ourselves here at this mighty challenge between who is God? To go out of his way, we have read and I've said Elijah tainted this offering, in my opinion, because that's not how you light a fire. You don't soak it with water. But it wasn't tainted for this process. It was part of the proof. No one could say Elijah did that. But everyone is about to have a response. I want to read his prayer again. That's cool with you? It doesn't matter. I'm going to anyway. Verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all the things uh, at your word, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell, and what? It consumed. There was nothing left. It consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone. Have you ever seen stone consumed? By fire before? Closest that I've ever seen is lava. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. There was nothing left. And there was no doubt in anybody's mind what had just happened. So in this challenge of who is the real God, we see who showed up, the real God. In verse 39, what was the people's response? They're like, ah, we're not convinced. Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, what? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Ernie, the devil, is very clever. And his desire to pull people away uh, from true worship, true freedom, true life in Christ continues today. Because he knows that he has been voided of what he used to have and wants to now prevent us from having the same. 
choice. Do you feel that pull both ways? Have you been in that spot where you know the path that you're heading on is not one that honors Christ whatsoever? Well, first I have to pause and say, do you know Jesus? And if you do know Jesus, have you been there? Have you been in that spot where you felt that pull? Maybe you felt that pull and you've given in to that pull. Well, I'm here to call, uh, call you to remember who is the one true God, the, ones who, the one who shows up with fire, the one who shows up to set hearts and minds right, the one who doesn't just leave people guessing, but he is sure as sure can be that he is God. There was nobody in this moment that didn't know who the real God was. After hours upon hours upon hours of worshiping or calling to worship this false God, we have this one moment of prayer. And the true God shows up to make a point. How many hours upon hours upon hours have you spent pandering after whatever the world wants to offer you when the one true God is right here today? He might not show up in fire. Not in this way. But we do know, according to the Scripture, Old and New Testament, but that's how we are tested, right? Our pastor said it last week as he quoted several passages that talk about just as gold or silver is refined by fire, so is our heart refined by what? Trials. James says it. Paul says it. Isaiah says it. I've said it before, James says it in a way that, you know, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, but I get it. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds for the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be able to press on. So you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The testing of our faith, we have joy in the testing, not joy because we're being tested or because that test exists but we have joy because of what it's going to produce. We know that God is up to something and he wants to show out so everybody can see who he is. And today he uses people like you and me. Why he would see fit, I don't know, but he does. I love this passage. Because it calls for us to choose. And it's very clear what the world offers and what God offers. Listen, the world will leave you high and dry always. You'll have moments of satisfaction, moments of happiness for what it will bring, but it will be fleeting and not enough. When God shows up, he is complete. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't. Maybe you're struggling with that pull from the world. Maybe you're okay with it. I remember one year I had a student who, as she went off to college, uh, I noticed some things online and I, I reached out on him. I said, hey, I'm concerned. 
And she just very honestly came back and said, you know what? I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I don't care. I'm enjoying myself. So God can just enjoy being on the shelf for now. Is that you today? Because as I've read 1 Kings 18, I, I, I feel it's very clear that what the world has to offer is fleeting. What the world has to offer is hopeless. Although it is well disguised as hope and love, it is not. It is the exact opposite. But what God has to offer is complete. Do you know him today? My next question is, do other people know you know him today? Because if I'm not mistaken, the audience that Elijah was speaking to at the very beginning were also people that knew why else would he say, how long are you going to limp between two different opinions? How long? How long? He says, how long will you limp between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, what? Follow him. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. If you know Jesus today, follow him. Next week, we're going to talk about the price of fellowship. So come join us. But today, it's clear. Who will you choose? Will you follow what the world has to offer and be okay with it? Or will you follow the one true God? Allow him to consume you. To burn out all that is old, creating in you what is new. And giving you new life and new hope. Where do you stand today? Who do you choose? That being said, I'm going to surprise everybody and say, that's all I have. But it's that simple, isn't it? Choose today. If you've been in the far country for however long you've been, it's not too late. Today you can repent. Today you can call out to the one true God who is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then walk in that forgiveness. Walk in that hope. Walk in that new life. And maybe you're like, you don't understand. I, I want to follow, but I know that the people that are around me say, oh, that'll never last. To that, I say, if you're going to follow the one true God, then you look at them and say, watch. Watch. Watch me mess up and watch me go back to him. Watch me walk in truth and then watch him do amazing things through my, in and through my life that I could never ask for or imagine. Watch. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you've been faithfully following, praise God. As you call out to the world, say the same thing. Watch.
Watch and know what God truly shows up. Do you know him today? Is he your true God? Have you chosen him? And walk in that. If you don't know him, today can be a new day for you. Call out to him, Jesus. I know I need a savior. I know I am a sinner. I know you're the only one that can change my life. You are the one true God. And I can spend my whole life spinning my wheels, trying to make it happen, following all of this other stuff. But I know you're the only one, the only true God that truly shows up. So please change my life and make me brand new. If that's you this morning and that's something you've done today, then I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe today you're here and you're like, I'm following Jesus, but I'm struggling. Well, if I asked everybody to raise their hand, that that applied to, I guarantee you'd see that you're away, not alone. But I'll be glad, I'll be glad to pray for you as, as I'm up here in just a moment. So as the praise team comes on up, I ask that you prepare your hearts for the what's next. Maybe that's to grab someone next to you and pray for them. Hey, I got you. Hey, I've been noticing that you're a little down lately. I don't need to know the details, but let's pray. Let's pray. Let's call out to the one true God. And stand, ama- stand in amazement at how he'll show. Pray with me, if you will. Let's stand. Jesus, you know exactly where all of us are. Good, bad, and indifferent. You know exactly where we stand. Whether we're, the, whether we're white knuckle in the pew in front of us because we don't want to make a decision or we're white knuckle in our sin because we don't want to let go. If that is the case, then I ask that you would pour yourself out. Give us the blessing of conviction in our lives. Grab our faces and point us towards you to be reminded of the one true God and what only you can do. and then give us the boldness that we need to respond. Whether that be going and grabbing a friend and saying, please pray, or coming down to the altar and Lord, here I am, or, or, or whatever, Lord, I pray you give us the boldness to respond. Lord, and for those who are in this room who have diligently been following you, they are like Elijah in this story. We're like, Lord, I'll go wherever you say to go. I'll say whatever you say to, for me to say. Lord, I pray that you continually give uh, boldness for that as well thank you that you are the one true God and we're not here just hoping maybe you have already shown up help us to walk in that truth in Jesus name